Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Catch UFC 277 at Walters this Saturday night as Juliana Pena takes on Amanda Nunes in Dallas. The fight card begins at 9. Register at waltersdc.com to receive one free spicy margarita. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Gonsolin standing straight up as he takes signs. He spins, checks the runner. At first as he comes set. Now kicks and goes, and Soto chops the ball over the head of Freeman. A fair ball down the right field line into foul ground. Robles has scored. Hernandez around third. He will score. Soto's on his way to third, and he'll go in without a play. A two-run triple for Juan Soto. It's his first three-base hit of the year, and the Nets have played it four here in the top of the fifth inning. It's now Washington four and Los Angeles one. The 1-1, line to right field. Soto is there and then makes the catch. Goes back two steps and hauls it in. Turner hits it hard, but he hits it at Juan Soto to retire the side. And Andres Machado, that's worthy of a Houdini hat to get out of that jam with no run scoring. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, July 26th. 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, in case you had forgotten, a winning streak is when a team wins at least two consecutive games. The Nationals had not authored a winning streak since an oh-so-modest three-game winning streak June 26th through the 28th. But my friends, we now, for the first time in a month, can say that the Nats have themselves a winning streak. And how about the win that is given the Nats this oh-so-elusive winning streak? A 4-1 win at the National League-leading Los Angeles Dodgers late night on Monday night in what was arguably the Nats' best game of the season, certainly at least the Nats' best pitched game of the season. What a job by the Nats. Uh, I don't know many people who saw this win coming, but the win came. And so, Mark, as we tape this installment of the Nats Chat podcast past 2.30 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, I am happy to say to you that for a second consecutive installment of the podcast, we are discussing a Nationals victory. The last three games that I have covered in person at Dodger Stadium, the Nationals have won them in quite dramatic fashion, all of them. They were all tense. They all wound up winning with some great relief work. And I'm, of course, referring 
to games two and five of the 2019 NLDS. That's the last time I was here. So I don't know about anything that's happened in between then. As far as I'm concerned, anytime the Nationals play at Dodger Stadium, it's high drama and they come away with a win. This was a really impressive win. They were going up against one of the best teams in baseball, one of the best starting pitchers in baseball. And to shut them down the way they did with all that parade of relievers and to come through with the rally that they did to take the lead, I think it's an impressive win for them. It doesn't necessarily mean anything in the bigger picture or not, but for this particular night, this was a very well-played, good win for this team. And boy, did they enjoy that. One of the things about that horrid stretch that the Nats just had, right, uh, where they had all of those losses and just oh so few wins, right, 17 losses in 19 games is, you know, we all understand the nature of baseball. Even the worst teams win basically one out of every three games, and the Nats were not winning. You know, you don't really have like upsets in baseball because you're never really shocked by any singular game result, but I think with this Nats team this season, Given the way that things had been going, you know, you're not expecting them to win games right now. And so going into a series facing the best team in the National League and maybe the best organization in the sport, you know, I don't think most people had high expectations. And then you think about, you know, the nature of this game, right? This was our guy Paolo Espino pitching. You ended up having Davey Martinez pulling the plug on Paolo relatively early in the game, leaning on a bunch of relievers in this game against one of the best hitting teams in the majors in the Dodgers, and yet the Nats pull it off. Like, it's not just that the Nats won, even though that's surprising enough. It's almost how the Nats won this game. This was a win that was reminiscent of those playoff Nats teams of now several years ago. You know, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I know the stakes weren't nearly as high, but just being in this ballpark and seeing it play out like that... You know, it reminded me, especially of game two of that playoff series, when Davey had to push all the buttons and use Max Scherzer out of the bullpen and had uh, Daniel Hudson intentionally walk Max Muncy to load the bases and then get out of it. He took some chances in this one. And how many times have we talked about this year, how when you use five relievers, what are the odds that all five are going to come through for you? Well, you know what? All five came through for them. Five zeros by this bullpen against that lineup. A couple of them got into some jams, but they dug deep and got out of them. I was really impressed with Andres Machado. I was really impressed with Carl Edwards Jr., the way that he got out of his jam. This was a, a really satisfying win for a team that hasn't had a lot of those. No, so Paolo Espino was an at starting pitcher in the game. He ultimately allowed one run in four innings. Uh, he gave up four hits, a homer, a double, and two singles. Issued no walks, uh, only recorded two strikeouts. He threw 54 pitches and then got pulled from the game. He was effective. The run that he gave up came on a two-out solo homer by Trace Thompson to left field on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the third for a 1-0 Dodgers lead. I don't have a problem, though, with Paolo having been yanked from the game, and not just because the decision worked out. You know, we have seen with our guy Paolo, him as a starter has not been the same as him as a reliever. He's gotten exposed a little bit here these last few weeks being in the Nats rotation. He's had, you know, some rough outings and just even the non-rough outings really haven't been that good. And so it's kind of like with Espino, okay, you get what you get and then get him out and get on to the next guy. I thought it was interesting. Davey Martinez in his post-game session with you guys said we were monitoring Paolo Espino closely. It sounded like the Nats were looking for any inkling that Paolo was starting to fall off. And then they said, okay, we're going to get him out and then go to our bullpen. Yeah, they definitely were. I mean, my only surprise there was 
I figured maybe you'd let him get through the lineup twice. And so if it got back to the top of the lineup, especially the Dodgers one, two, three, Betts, Turner, and Freeman, that you're not going to let him face them the third time. And the fact that they now held a 4-1 lead at that point. Instead, you pull him with two on, nobody out in the fifth, and the number eight hitter Bellinger up. But obviously it worked out. Andres Machado was fantastic getting out of that jam. And to their credit, they had the arms to get through the rest of that game. It is a gamble. When you make the move that early, you're now knowing you're going to have to ask for four or five relievers at least to get you through the rest of this game. They had the arms, really went exactly as they could have asked according to plan. So good job by David to make that happen. And, and Paolo was, he was a little disappointed that he didn't get to finish the inning, but he also understood why and he's not the type to complain anyways. And I'll tell you, I mean, he pitched really well. It was not like he was lucky to get through, you know, four plus innings, only allowing the one run. First time through the order, he was great. He hung an 0-2 curveball to Thompson for the home run, but he got their big hitters out several times. I was really impressed with the job that he did, but you also know with him, with his stuff against that kind of lineup, you're playing with fire and, and the odds of him making it through much longer than that were pretty slim. Yeah. I mean, this really was Paolo's first good start in more than a month. 2-1 2-1 win at the Texas Rangers on June 24th. Paolo in that game, one run in five and a third innings. If you go through his outings game by game, that really was the last time that he had had a good outing, but he ends up having a good outing on Monday night. And then the bullpen ends up having an excellent outing. Five Nats relievers on Monday night combined for five scoreless innings with six strikeouts. And it's not just what, it is against whom. The Dodgers entered Monday number two in the majors in team-weighted runs created plus this season at 120. 100 is average. A team-weighted runs created plus of 120 is superb. That's what the Dodgers had entering Monday, and yet the Nats shut down this team. And you've referenced it. What Andres Machado did really was something. Bottom of the fifth, faces four batters, gets three outs. Uh, Came into the game with runners on first and second. Nobody out. Nats leading 4-1. Machado then struck out Cody Bellinger swinging on six pitches for the first out. Machado did then issue a one-out six-pitch walk at Trace Thompson to load the bases, but Machado then struck out Mookie Betts looking on five pitches and then got her old friend Trey Turner to line out to end the inning. Then Victor Arano, scoreless bottom of the sixth. Hunter Harvey, scoreless bottom of the seventh. Carl Edwards Jr., scoreless bottom of the eighth, despite giving up two singles. He with runners on first and second, struck out Max Muncy on six pitches for the third out. And then Kyle Finnegan tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth. You know, I guess with Tanner Rainey out and the trade deadline coming, I don't even know anymore, like, what are we going to call the Nats A bullpen? What are we going to call the Nats B bullpen? But whatever you call what was on display on Monday night, it worked. All of these guys delivered. Yeah, they were outstanding. I'm going to say the two biggest pitches of the night, the first one came from Machado. It was the strikeout of Mookie Betts, and he had Betts completely fooled. I mean, he threw a fastball essentially down the middle, and Betts took it like he never saw it coming. And I think the reason he was able to do that is because his changeup is so effective that I'm assuming Betts was looking for that, and he froze him with a fastball. Uh, he must have been looking with two strikes for the changeup. So that was number one. And the second biggest pitch was from Carl Edwards Jr. with two on and two out. And he's facing Max Munson. He starts him off with five straight curveballs. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, that's his best pitch. Maybe he's going to come back with it again, or maybe he'll try to sneak a fastball past him. And instead, he throws a changeup 
on a 3-2 count and completely had Muncie out in front. It was a, a terrible swing, half swing, whatever you want to call it, from Muncie. So to me, those are the two biggest pitches of the entire night. And you saw the emotion from both of them as they walked off the mound. And you saw emotion from the dugout. I mean, this was the kind of high stakes game, if you want to call it that, that they have not had very many of. And they were into this one uh, with the crowd, the opponent, all that. This was a big game from the Nationals perspective. So for Carl Edwards Jr. now this season at the major league level for the Nats, because remember, he was signed to a minor league contract and was at Rochester before being called up weeks into the season. Uh, He has worked 31 games, 36 and two-thirds innings, ERA at 295, whip of 106. You know, we obviously continue to monitor and discuss, you know, Juan Soto and Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz. Is there any reason to think that Edwards will not be traded come the trade deadline on August 2nd? I mean, I think it depends on what the offers are. If, If nobody has any interest or if it's, you know, barely scant interest, in him, then maybe they don't do that. And they say, hey, let's hang on to the guy and we maybe we can bring him back next year and he could actually be a part of this thing moving forward. But I would think the way he has pitched, somebody out there has noticed that and would offer up, you know, even if it's a low-level prospect that could pan into something someday, I think you make that move. We've talked about how this time of year, relievers are very valuable to contending teams and you can often get more value for them uh, than anyone else. And they're so erratic year to year. It's not like Carl Edwards had been great the last couple of years. Before that, yes, very good with the Cubs. You don't really know what you're going to get from him in the future. So I think if there's a decent offer for him, yeah, you make that move. I think Finnegan is the most fascinating one, though, of them, because as we've discussed, there are valid reasons to see if you can make a trade, and there are valid reasons to hang on to him. And especially with Rainey, who we still haven't officially heard is having Tommy John surgery, but got to believe at this point, we're pretty close to just assuming that's going to be the case, which means he's probably out for a good chunk of next season as well. I get that you're a rebuilding team and, you know, it's not the most important thing in the world to have uh, experienced late inning relievers, but you got to have somebody pitch those innings. So again, if there's a good offer for Finnegan, who has three years of control, yeah, I think you look at that, but you don't have to do that move. It needs to be a move that makes sense because if not, you've got yourself a guy who looks like a pretty effective late inning reliever that you have control of who can still help your team moving forward. Yeah, the Nats last year in their sell-off ended up dealing away eight players for 12 prospects. I don't know if we're going to get to eight Nats being dealt, but you're going to potentially have a pretty high number. And if Juan Soto is dealt you probably will get back a total of 12 prospects, maybe even more. If you know, I mean, you're hearing about like five or six prospects potentially uh, for Juan Soto. So we shall see. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself 
on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. 1-1 delivery, swinging a high fly ball to right field. Soto drifting back, has a play. Now squares up and he makes the catch and a curly W in the books at Dodger Stadium. The Nationals knock off the National League's top club, the Los Angeles Dodgers, in their home park in game one of this three-game series. And the Nationals have two wins in a row on this road trip. Well, speaking of the man of not just the hour, but the day and the week and the month right now in Major League Baseball, it is so funny how the baseball schedule can work out, right? One week after Juan Soto was in L.A. to win the home run derby and play in the All-Star game, and we had the controversy that was Flightgate, we have the Nats on Monday night beginning a three-game series at the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we, of course, have the Dodgers as a prime candidate to trade for Juan Soto. So before we get to Soto's game, I know you noted this on Twitter, Soto prior to the game being bombarded with questions from Los Angeles area reporters. I guess the Dodgers are at a point now to where if you cover the team, you just assume that if any megastar is made available via trade, that megastar is going to wind up 
with the Dodgers. But what was that media session like, Juan Soto fielding questions from L.A. area reporters? There's like a certain sense of entitlement around here now that if there's anybody good out there who could be available, well, of course, they're going to end up as a Dodger. I mean, they practically uh, were asking him for his jersey measurements uh, in that session. The kind of thing I had only really seen in the past, to be honest, from like Yankee writers when Bryce Harper would come to town. That's about the only other time I'd ever seen anything like it. And, you know, they're good guys. They're good reporters. I'm not necessarily faulting them, but there is this sort of like roll your eyes, like seriously, guys, you're just going to assume that, of course, number one, he's going to be a Dodger. Or number two, that he really wants to be a Dodger, that there aren't any other teams in the mix or that he's even going to come out and say what you want him to say. They were trying every different possible combination of questions to ask him just to get him to say like, boy, you know, you'd really like to be here, wouldn't you? And to Juan's credit, he Dikembe Matumbo them all, swatted every single one away in impressive fashion. I think my favorite one was somebody asked if Trey Turner was trying to uh, convince him to come here. And Juan said, no, I'm trying to convince him to come back to Washington. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So I give Juan a lot of credit. It can't be easy for him. This is the way, unfortunately, it is right now and will be for the next week until we have some resolution one way or the other on it. And, I, you know, I was very curious what the crowd reaction was going to be to him as well. And when he came up to bat in the first inning, there was some, not, not you know, overwhelming, but there was some applause from the Dodger Stadium crowd. And there were even a few who were trying to start up the future Dodger chant for him. Now, when he grounded out to first, they applauded even louder. And there really wasn't anything else the rest of the game. I think the crowd was more nervous about the fact that their beloved team was about to lose to the worst team in baseball. But obviously, everyone around here is aware of the situation and uh, trying to put the hard press on Juan Soto. And to his credit, he shrugged it off yet again and had, had a pretty good game on top of all that. Yeah, he did. You know, it's funny with the Dodgers because, you know, you think about, okay, the most aggressive big spending teams in the majors, and that list almost always leads with the Yankees. But the Yankees under Hal Steinbrenner have not been like the Yankees under George Steinbrenner. The Yankees still spend a lot of money, but you could make the case that the Dodgers are the new Yankees in terms of how aggressive they are in going after superstars and dishing out mega money contracts. So yeah, I mean, this is a big deal that Soto is playing this series at the Dodgers, and he did have a good game on Monday night. Uh, two for four with a two-run triple, a single and a walk, although he did have another base running blunder as this continues to be an issue for him this season. Doesn't mean that uh, he's not going to go for a sky-high price if, in fact, he gets traded. But yeah, the base running does continue to be a problem for Soto. But Soto on Monday night in an at's four-run fifth, a two-out, two-run triple on a bouncer down the right field line for a 4-1 Nats lead. It was kind of an odd triple. There certainly was some luck involved in the hit. But still, I mean, this was the hit of the game, a two-out, two-run triple in the inning in which uh, the winning team scored all of its runs in the game. So you had the two-out, two-run triple by Soto. You in the top of the seventh had a two-out first pitch single up the middle by Soto. And then you in the top of the ninth had Soto drawing yet another walk, a one-out five-pitch walk. But he had the base running boo-boo here. He got doubled up to end the top of the ninth. And the runner goes. The pitch swung on. Line to right field. Betts moving back into the line. Makes the catch. Soto's going to have to hurry. Betts throwing back to first to Freeman. It's a double play. So there is this issue where he keeps making these outs on the base paths. I'll look this up. Soto entered Monday minus 
3.8 base running runs per fan grabs this season. I mean, he quantifiably has not been a good base runner, but he obviously is a very good batter. And what's also true now about Soto is that he's number nine in the majors in OPS this season at 895, right? Remember, we'd have those conversations about, boy, Juan Soto's OPS starts with a seven. That doesn't seem right. Well, here we are now. He's top 10 in the majors in OPS, and he had a very productive game on Monday night. Yeah, he's going to be just fine, I think. No matter who he's playing for, the numbers are going to be there at the end of the year. He knew that. We all knew that. And what I like is he's back at that point again where he's both staying patient to draw his walks, but he's also hitting the pitches that he does get to hit and coming through on a lot of them. So that's been a good sign for him. The base running thing, look, he got a great jump. I mean, he had second base stolen easily. Nothing wrong with that. The issue was as soon as you hear the crack of the bat, you either need to turn around and figure out where the ball is, or you got to look back at your first base coach who's yelling at you, get back, get back. It took a couple of seconds before he realized all that and could turn around, and it was far too late for it. Now, it didn't cost them in the end, but between his base running and also his defense, which has ranked among the worst in the league, all his value right now is at the plate. And it's a lot of value, but he's not helping himself on the bases or in the field. Nats on Monday night uh, only had two extra base hits, and that's finished with eight hits and six walks. Uh, the two extra base hits, the Juan Soto two-run triple in a four-run fifth, and the Yadiel Hernandez leadoff home run in that four-run fifth. Uh, Yadiel on Monday night, two for four with two leadoff hits, a solo homer and a single. Uh, he in that four-run fifth had a leadoff opposite field homer to left field to tie the game at one, 407 feet stat cast. And this was the Nats' first hit in the game. It's funny, for a while, this felt like another one of these Nats games in which the team is doing nothing offensively. And then everything changed in that four-run fifth inning. And then Yadiel, in the top of the sixth inning, had a leadoff single through the right side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. I know we've talked about this, but, you know, with the struggles of Lane Thomas, we do continue to see a good bit of Yadiel Hernandez got off to a good start, then cooled off. He's been better lately. And obviously, that home run was significant on Monday night. Yeah, that was the icebreaker. They needed it because they were being no hit to that point. And given how good Tony Gonsolin has been this year, at, at that point before the home run, he's not only 11-0 and on the season, but he's got an ERA under two at that moment. And Yachty's home run, I think, broke the ice. And you saw how it went the rest of the inning for them to score the four runs. They had dealt him his first loss of the year. That's not nothing to scoff at. Yadiel Hernandez, we've all seen, he has the ability to be a pretty good big league hitter. He's just not been able to sustain that. And it almost like the more playing time he gets, the less effective he becomes. But when he stays on his pitch, when he knows which ones to try to pull, which ones to hit the other way, he's actually been pretty effective. And that was a good case of him seeing a pitch that he could drive to the opposite field where sort of his natural power is and hitting that. And honestly, it made up for the previous inning in the field. Trey Turner was credited with a double, and this is one of those I, I look up afterwards to see the expected batting average of it. The expected batting average of that ball was 130, okay? That's a ball that needs to be caught. Yadiel Hernandez was both slow to it and took a bad angle on it. It didn't cost them in the end, and to his credit, he made up for it with the home run, but that's the reason that we don't always see him in there and why you do see him pulled for defense a lot late. Yadiel Hernandez should probably be a DH, as we know, this team has a DH for now, a 42-year-old guy who at the moment is staying here and is going to be in there every day. But long-term, Yadiel Hernandez is probably not a left fielder, as we've seen. Yeah, and you know we haven't talked about this, and it's almost become like you just 
don't even acknowledge it anymore because everyone kind of realizes it. But the Nats' current DH is having an atrocious season, okay? And I don't say that lightly. Nelson Cruz now, in this month of July, is slugging 169, okay? That's his slugging percentage for the month of July. He has been a massive disappointment for this team. And honestly, it's sad because it feels like we're seeing the end of the career of Nelson Cruz. Like, that's what this season feels like, that Nelson Cruz, off having been really good over the last few years, I mean, he's been really good in his career, but he really was tremendous these last few seasons. Man, has he fallen off the cliff this season. Another hitless game for Nelson Cruz on Monday night. He went 0 for 3 with a walk, two strikeouts, left four men on base, you know, I guess someone is going to take him on come the trade deadline. But boy, he has given the Nats next to nothing this season. He got hot for a little while, but the numbers are just atrocious. And, you know, you think about Soto, Bell, Cruz. Soto and Bell now, you have to say, have held up their ends of the bargain. Uh, Nelson Cruz just is not. And so if slash when he is traded, I think that actually could do the Nats some good because Davey Martinez continues to bat Nelson Cruz in that four or five spot. And you have a guy in Yadiel Hernandez who has been much more productive than Nelson Cruz has been this season. So that might actually do some good for the Nats lineup, having Yadiel Hernandez as a DH for the most part moving forward, even though, like you said, there is a tendency uh, for Yadiel uh, to get exposed when he plays more. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Beat the heat with Window Nation, which right now is offering a very special deal. Save $200 off any style of window from Window Nation with every two windows that you buy, plus make no payments and pay no interest until 2024, plus you can receive a free entry door with the purchase of a house of windows. Save yourself thousands of dollars on your new windows and on your energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Here's all that you need to do. Go to windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. Your windows matter. Lean on the experts of Window Nation and get yourself the special deal. Again, save $200 off any style of window from Window Nation with every two windows that you buy. Plus, make no payments and pay no interest until 2024 and receive a free entry door with the purchase of a house of windows. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. That's windownation.com or 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. One and two, Harvey's pitch. Check swing and a ball outside. They appeal. Strike three, says Chris Conroy at first. And Hunter Harvey strikes out bets to end the inning. So good work by Hunter Harvey. The Nationals' bullpen success continues. A couple of interesting items from Monday night. Victor Robles was the Nats' leadoff batter. Uh, yeah, we apparently are back to this now. Victor Robles had not batted in the leadoff spot this entire season. And yet on Monday night, he was in that spot. And it's impossible to ignore the timing of this, right? One game after the clown nose game uh, against the Diamondbacks there, the win at Arizona on Sunday uh, with Victor Robles trolling Madison Bumgarner and Davey Martinez after the game saying that he was not happy uh, about that. Now, I think that's you know, probably more coincidence than anything, but it's just funny, the timing of all of this. But yeah, Victor Robles, who has not had a good season, has perhaps been a bit better lately has been confined to batting essentially in the ninth spot. He was in the one spot on Monday night. He went one for five with a single and two strikeouts. He and the Nats four-run fifth at a two-out first pitch single 
through the left side of the infield, but uh, he also left three men on base. Top of the eighth, bases loaded two outs. He struck out swinging on seven pitches. But where did this come from? Victor Robles batting in the leadoff spot. We saw some of Luis Garcia in that spot lately. The plug apparently has been pulled on that. We've seen a lot of Cesar Hernandez in the one spot. And it sounds now like Robles might be getting another look here as the Nats leadoff batter. I can't believe it took you this long to bring this subject up, Al. The moment that we saw that lineup and that Victor Robles was going to lead off, I figured you're going to lead the show with this. You went almost a half an hour before bringing it up. So uh, you've gone soft on me. This has been your one of your pet projects for over a year now. Davey giving up on Robles as the leadoff hitter after seven games last year. Well, Victor has not held up his end of that bargain, unfortunately. Uh, if I had more ammo, trust me, I would be beating that drum. But he just he has not been good. Like, it's it's hard to keep mounting that horse when the guy is continually not doing well. I, I don't, where did this come from, though, Davey doing this? I, I, like, I don't think anyone was anticipating this. No, I just think it's a case of they've been trying anything they can to generate some offense and get some guys on base in front of Soto, essentially. Cesar Hernandez continues to hit at the top of the lineup. He has not been worthy of it, although he had a decent game, got on base, what, three times in this one as the number two hitter. But he really has not done his part. Uh, Luis Garcia has had some opportunities, but that's not really where he should be at this point. And, uh, you know, Lane Thomas had his opportunities. They just have not been able to get anybody on base with any consistency. And I think the feeling was, Robles has kind of quietly been better for the last few weeks. Not great, but he's been better. Had a decent weekend in Arizona. If you take all the circus stuff out of it and just focus on the actual performance, he had an all right uh, weekend at the plate. So they figured, hey, let's give this a try, see how it goes. And I did think it was interesting that Davey said, this isn't just a one-time thing. He intends to keep him up there for a little while. I think you've reached a point where you just say, what do we have to lose? You know? I don't know ultimately what Victor Robles is going to be. Maybe he's a lost cause at this point. But compared to some of the other more veteran players on short-term deals they have here, Robles, at the very least, you could say there's still a sliver of a chance he might pan out into be something for them. So might as well give him the opportunity once and for all to see if he can do this and do anything with it. You know, it wasn't a great game for him on Monday night, but I think you're going to still see him leading off here moving forward, at least for the time being. Yeah, you know, I also know this about Davey, though. He changes his mind constantly with his lineups. And it was just like five minutes ago that Luis Garcia was getting a look-see in the one spot. And all of a sudden now that seems to be done. So I don't know. I mean, Davey says this on Monday. Check back with me on Tuesday, okay? Like, I I just, I don't know what to think anymore. And, you know, it's odd, too. If you think so little of Robles that you bury him in a nine spot for so much of this season— why and how all of a sudden do you think so much of him to where you have him in the one spot? Like that to me is kind of strange. Like I think about like Kate Bear Ruiz. Kate Bear Ruiz on Monday night batted in the eight spot. He has batted in the two spot. If you like him enough to bat him in the two spot, why do you have him buried in the eight spot, especially off a good game on Sunday? Now, and I know some of this is matchup stuff, but it's like, I don't know. There's not a congruence, it feels like, game to game, lineup to lineup here, with the exceptions really of Soto Bell Cruz. Like that's the only constant. Everything else seems to fluctuate wildly uh, with Davies' lineups this season. The other thing is, and look, this is not a big thing, but A. Ray Adrianza on Monday night started at third base for a second straight game over Michael Franco. Do you read anything into that or not really? Well, so I asked, like, is something going on with Franco? Maybe he was hurt or something, and Davey insisted that no, he was fine. He just liked the way Adrianza had played the last couple days and thinks he deserves some playing time. I wouldn't 
imagine that's going to stay that way. And to be honest, Adrianza did not have a great game in the field. There were some balls that he, uh, some plays he could have made that he did not at third base. Now, not that Michael Franco is known for making every play in the field either, but you know, I think we're just at a point in the season where they're not getting a whole lot out of anybody there. And so try something different, see if it works. Uh, you know, Adrianza got on base twice. He was part of that four run rally in the fifth. So that, you know, came through there. I think we've seen everything we need to see of Michael Franco at this point. I don't think he's suddenly going to become something that we didn't already know he was. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. Secret weapon t-shirts. Going to start selling like hotcakes off the very nice performance by Paolo Espino on Monday night. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Dats Chat podcast, and we leave you now with one of the more significant lookbacks in our continuing lookbacks at the month that changed everything for the Nats last July, July 2021. We take you back now to July 25th, 2021, a 5-4 Nats loss at the Orioles, completing a three-game sweep of the Nats at the Orioles. The indignity of this sweep cannot be overstated, and it Pretty much was this sweep as much as anything that convinced all of us that the time indeed had come for the Nats to blow this thing up. We thank you for listening to this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. The pitch to Orias on the way, swinging a ground ball, back into by Keeboom, throwing home to the plate, the tag, not in time. The game is over, and the Orioles win it 5-4. to four. And welcome to Nats Chat. For Monday, July 26, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, when the book is written on the 2021 Nationals, well, A, I'm not sure who's going to want to read that book, but B, there will be a chapter in that book called the Orioles series. And the Orioles series will mark the true end of us viewing the 2021 Nationals as viable when it comes to the postseason. I don't know how you view things any other way at this point. A disastrous three-game sweep is capped with a disastrous 5-4 walk-off loss at the Orioles on Sunday afternoon. Mark, we talked about things going into this cupcake portion, supposedly anyway, of the national schedule. Well, as long as the Nats avoid a worst-case scenario, Nats are probably going to stay in this thing because the state of the National League East. Well, the worst-case scenario is playing out and you really couldn't have scripted the weekend much worse. A really bad three-day stretch for the Nationals, continuing a really bad stretch since the All-Star break. And here we are now. The Nationals swept at the lowly Orioles for the first time in a three-game series since 2010. And it's not even just the results of the weekend series. That's awful enough, obviously. But let's also consider what's coming ahead or more specifically, what's not coming ahead. And that's no Steven Strasburg anytime soon. And it's one thing to say, okay, you just had a rough weekend, but okay, you're about to get healthy. You're, the gang's going to be all together here and they're going to finally go on this run. Well, no, it's not happening, at least not anytime soon. Kyle Schwarber still has a ways to go. Steven Strasburg, God knows when we're going to see him again. Tanner Rainey had a rehab assignment in Rochester, but who knows what impact he has. Jan Gomes is still out. Alex Avila is still out. I mean, Go on and on and down the list. So it's not like you can say, well, 
this was a little bit of a fluke and we're about to get healthy. And you, you could see the, the positive developments coming. No, this is falling apart on the field without having anything that's on the verge of coming up to help you to turn that whole thing around. And so it really, these last four days, the Orioles series and the last game against the Marlins, this is the bottom falling out. I've made the joke already, but I said I thought they were going to have to crater this week for them to go into sell mode. Well, the comet is now well into the atmosphere, and at this point, all we can do is brace for impact. There's going to be a crater here soon. 